0: Thanks everyone, it's good to be here, I think situated, all right, we're going to jump right in, we're going to start in uh, Matthew 28, 18, and 20, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I've been thinking a lot about uh, this, these verses. And, uh, you know, someone's last words are usually important. So Jesus has given this last word to his followers. And I, I just thought to myself, like, this guy knows everything. Like, why didn't he, like, save the planet a little bit? Like, why didn't we fix the water problem or energy or uh, sales techniques? If he would just teach us how to, like, do good business, then we wouldn't have any problems. And then we could really do what he wants us to do. And so I'm just thinking, why, why this? So I want to read a couple verses and uh, try to answer that question. So I'm going to kind of rapid fire through these. Uh, we'll slow down a little later, but I want to read a couple verses pretty quickly here. So I'm in Ezekiel 22:30. 30, if you want to follow along. Uh, the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel, and it, and it says, I searched for a man among them who would build up a wall and stand in the gap before me for the land, so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. Second Chronicles 16:9 says, For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You acted foolishly in this indeed, and from now on you will have wars. Here's a fun one. Ecclesiastes 7, 26 to 28, it says, this is uh, Solomon. He says, and I have discovered as more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets whose hands are chains. One who is pleasing to God will escape from her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Behold, I've discovered this, says the preacher, by adding one thing to another to find an explanation which I am still seeking but have not found. I have found one man among a thousand. Here's the fun part. Uh, I have uh, have not found a woman among all these. We'll we'll skip that part. But He's found one man among a thousand. Uh, Jesus, in, in Matthew 9, 36 to 38, he says, seeing the crowds... He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. So back to the question. Uh, Jesus knows our issues and our problems. And I I would submit to you guys that the the need of the hour when Jesus was, was given the Great Commission, the need of the hour... In those Old Testament verses, the need of the hour, when he tells his disciples the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, is a spiritual need. It's it's in our souls. And Jesus knows that, and he knows that there's not a lot of men standing in the gap. He's searching, he's roaming the earth to find them. There's one in a thousand. And so, again, the need of the hour men is a spiritual one. So, we are going to be talking about discipleship today. Um, let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, we thank you for another day and another opportunity to serve you. I just thank you so much for these men uh, willing to, to take their time away from their, their families and, and their jobs to, to come out here and, and learn about you. Uh, we beg you to, to intercede, please, today. Um, help us to know you more so that we can love you better. We we'll pray all these things in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Um, we're going to start in 2 Corinthians 5, if you want to turn there. We'll, we'll camp here for a little bit. I'll, I could spend all day on these verses, but we'll, we'll try to go a, a little quick. So Shane's going to be our reader. You ready, Shane? Yeah. 2 Corinthians five fifteen to 21.
1: And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, you're reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him.
0: Thank you. So we'll start in 15 here, and and Jerry kind of beat this up, but guys, we don't live for ourselves, right? Jesus died for us so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. If we don't die to ourselves, if we don't understand that our lives are not our lives, we are his. And so we got to start with that mentality. I take you to these verses because to me, if we don't have this perspective, we're not going to scratch the surface of discipling guys. So we got to get these down. And it starts with, like Jerry said, it starts with dying. Um, Shane, I'll give you a break after this, but I'm going to have you read Luke 14, 27 to 33 uh, real quick. Luke 14, 27,
1: 33. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. or else while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions.
0: Thank you. So again, the, these verses are talking about calculating the cost. Uh, you know, there's an army coming. You're thinking about, can I, can I fight these guys off? And when I first read that, I think, oh, sweet. Um, this maybe gives me a way out. Uh, I can't do this, so if I can't do it, is this, is this suggesting I'm not able? Maybe I don't have to do it. My suggestion is it's not that are you able. It's, it's asking if you're willing. And so our problem with these verses is that we don't, we don't want to commit to this because we're afraid of what God's going to ask. And so that's the question here. Are we trusting God that he has our best interest at heart? Do we understand our lives are not our lives? and that we die to ourselves, and we say, God, what's your program? I trust you. You know what's best. I don't know what's best. So again, my suggestion here is, are you willing to trust him? Um, the verses end with, we didn't read it, but 34 and 35. If you, if you don't buy into this, you become tasteless salt, and that tasteless salt is useless for soil and for manure piles, and it gets thrown out. Guys, you don't want to be useless for a manure pile, okay? So it's not a question of, can I wiggle my way out of this? It's it's are we willing? Let's jump back to 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, verse 16. This is big, and I think, uh, Craig, you were hitting on this uh, just now. Uh, everyone's a soul. And that, if I am not thinking that, verse 16 says, from that, from Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. They're souls. If I don't see people as souls, um, at best, I will avoid them because they annoy me. And at worst, I'll use them. And so we got to avoid that at all costs, guys. So we got to see what people really are and their souls. 17, we've all heard this verse. We're new creatures. I've thought about this a lot. In a lot of ways, I kind of feel like the same guy, you know? So my question is, what really changes? And um, for sure what's changed is my view of reality. And I think that's a lot of what verse 16 is talking about. Are we viewing what's really happening? Do we view, again, people as souls and what really matters and what is purpose And so that's really what what changes in you is your thinking. And uh, verse 18, all these things are from God. You're not changing on your own. (laughs) If God's not in you changing you, uh, you're not a new creature. That in and of itself seems like a pretty darn good deal. But then he tells us that he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. So he wants us to be involved and, and again, that's, that's really what we're going to talk about here today, is uh, the ministry of reconciliation. For some reason, he uses the likes of us. I, I, I suggest to you guys that the fact that you get to be involved in ministry is grace. It's a gift. And if, you, if you're not taking part in it, then you're missing out, to be quite frank. Uh, Nineteen. It's pretty much the gospel, right? This is the, the, the ministry, is that God is reconciling the world to himself through his son. Therefore, whenever you see therefore, that, that makes you pause. All this stuff is being talked about. Therefore, now what do we, what do, we do? Therefore, we're ambassadors. I, I'm not that smart. I don't know a lot about ambassadors, but what I know is they go to another country on behalf of the nation or king or whoever sent them, And they are the voice in that nation. And that's us. We're ambassadors for God. He's making an appeal through us. This always gets me. Verse 20. We beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Just that word beg. It really gets me. Are we, again, realizing people are souls? And are we begging as ambassadors? Guys, this perspective, again, is my, my suggestion here is if we don't get some of these thoughts in our mind, our lives are not our lives, people are souls, God's sending us on a mission. If that's not deeply implanted into my soul of, of who I am and what I'm to be about, I'm just, I'm just not going to give my life to it. And I've come to retreats like this for many, many years. I'm pretty slow. It took me a while to, to see that. And um, it changes everything. It really does. I, and a lot of people have been talking about the abundant life. John 10.10, 10, that verse says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And that, that, that abundant life, I got to tell you, you, know, I was a Christian for a decent amount of time, kind of not feeling an abundant life. Doing activities for the sake of activities, kind of feeling like something's missing. And my suggestion is this was missing. Ministry, being an ambassador, find your purpose, that's abundant life. Let's pause real quick. Questions so far? Eight. Oh, okay. When you say banking people, what do, you, what do you mean by that? Banking people? Again, I, 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 I relate that back to seeing them as souls, and when you are seeing a person as this person's going to heaven or hell and that changes my relationship with them it's easy for me to again i'm i'm ashamed to say it but i don't always like to be around people they annoy me or whatever it is so or at best i'm going to use them for business like we were saying earlier or i'm going to use them for my own entertainment they're fun to be around whatever it is so when i see that word beg i i'm thinking i know this person's a soul and i i gotta tell i gotta tell them what i i know to be true and i i gotta beg them to at least listen hear me out so that's that's my thought on it hope that answers the question
1: yeah. Thanks. I thought, you, I thought, uh, I, I'm the one guy who forgot my Bible and I thought you said bank. Ah, and I was like, bank, bank, bank makes a lot of sense. So bank. there you yeah, go. I, I just, ar- yeah, I just arrived mentally. I'll thanks. try to
0: enunciate better. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about, uh, d- we're going to define it a little bit, and then we're going to talk about uh, what I think the, the purpose of it in your life is. We'll talk about some goals. And uh, then we'll talk about how we kind of approach people while we're, while we're discipling guys. And if we have time, we'll, we'll end with some application or some suggestions, I suppose, that, that have worked for me. So let's start with uh, what is it? So a disciple is just one that to make a disciple, to teach, to instruct. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm a, I'm a pretty simple simple guy. Simple's is good. So the best definition I've heard people say is just helping, encouraging, supporting, sh- showing another man how to think biblically. That's really all we're doing. It's not about them becoming exactly like me. That's not necessarily a good thing. It's about them learning how to think biblically. That's discipling a guy, helping them think biblically. Shane, if you don't mind reading uh, 2 Timothy two 2
1: Second Timothy two two, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also.
0: So again, really all, all we're doing there is finding other guys to, to teach what's been taught to me. It's not like I'm anything special. It's, I've had a lot of guys pour into my life and teach me. So really all I'm doing is trying to find other guys to, to do the same. And so, again, with defining what this is, my suggestion is, in my experience, people that don't believe uh, in God are typically not going to try to think biblically. So I, I, I mentioned that just to say, um, this is why we talk about East Square. When we're talking about unbelievers... We're evangelizing to the unbeliever. The unbeliever isn't trying to live their life in accordance to the authority of God's word. So what we do with them is we we try to reveal to them (laughs) their need of a savior, the gospel. And so the edification piece, the discipleship piece is, is just that. Again, guys that believe God's word is true and that God is real, we try to find those guys and as best we can help them, again, think biblically. That's all we can do. Thoughts on uh, definition here? All right, let's talk about, let's get into the meat a little bit and talk about uh, why did God give us this ministry of reconciliation? So we're going to talk about the purpose a little bit. So I'm going to read a few verses and then uh, give some observations. So Matthew 16, 17, and 18. Jesus said to him, he's talking to Simon, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Again, note with me here, guys, that Jesus tells Peter, I'm going to build my church. He doesn't say, Peter, you're going to build a church. He says, Peter, you're the rock, and upon you, I will build my church. We we can't stop him, guys. There are people actively trying, and they will not stop him. Jesus will build his church, but he decides to use Peter's a fisherman. Just normal guys to build his church, but Jesus is the one who builds his church. Similar thought, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 9. It says, What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted Apollos water, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Now that's kind of that's encouraging. They're, they're not, not anything. But God causes the growth. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own own reward according to his own labor for we are God's fellow workers you are God's field God is building so same thought here guys that, that is 1st Corinthians 3 5 to 9 God's building we are the as the verse says the Lord gives us opportunity so for whatever reason he's given us this grace to give us this opportunity to get our own individual reward. And we're involved, but God is the one who builds. God is the one who grows. Very similar thought, last one along these lines. Psalm 127.1, simple verse. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. So same thought. So again, my question is, well, what what is the point? God's God's building, God's growing, God's gonna build His church. So, do I, I? don't have to do anything, I guess. Is that what is that what we're saying here? So my suggestion to you is, along lines of what I've already been saying, this is a gift to you guys, and it's for you. You guys need this. I know for me personally, when I don't have guys I'm meeting with, I'm lazy, yes. and nothing's really grown me more than than meeting with guys. So it's it's for me, and I can't thank God enough that He would include, again, bozos like us, in such an important work, and what a what an amazing thing that is. Um, I think Paul kind of addresses this in in Romans one. I'm gonna have Shane read Romans. 1, 11 to 14, as, as far as I can tell, maybe there's more, but Paul gives to me four reasons here why he takes part in ministry, so again, Shane, uh, Romans 1, 11 to 14,
1: for I, lo- for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish.
0: So again, I see a reason in each verse. Verse 11, Paul says, I want to come to you guys. I want to, I want to impart some spiritual gift. So he's, he's coming there to hopefully help these guys see truth and, and help them um, grow closer to God. So he's definitely in it for guys and to help them and to help them grow. Uh, verse 12, he says that he wants them to be encouraged together. There's an, a relationship piece here. There's a fellowship there is a edification that we just can't get from ourselves. We're not here to lone, lone wolf it. We are here to help each other. And Paul wants to come and be around these guys so that not only they can be encouraged, but that he can be encouraged. Thirteen, he says, don't, don't be unaware, guys. I'm, I'm in this for my own gain. I'm in this so that I may obtain some fruit among you. Fourteen. He's under obligation. I've thought a lot about that. Um, Why is he obligated? And I guess my suggestion for what it's worth is, I think Paul's obligated because he knows his purpose. He knows God wants him to be ministering to these people. And he is obligated because he believes that God has his best intentions in mind for Paul. It's the best thing for him. So the obligation piece to me is Paul just understanding correctly that if without this, who am I? And so therefore, I'm obligated to meet with these guys and minister to them. So again, there's four, I find four takeaways there. He wants to impart spiritual gift to them. It's for his encouragement and their encouragement. He's there for his own gain, his own reward, and he understands this is who I am. This is who God wants me to be. Um, This thought, very, very recently, a guy that I've been meeting with, he, we've been meeting every week for a couple years, and I actually wrote it down because I wanted to read it exactly what he said, (laughs) but um, he's like, should we meet every other week? Like, I feel like I'm a burden to you. I feel like, you know, you got kids, you know, there's not a lot of time, like, so the part I wrote down, he literally said, he said, I know that you're meeting with me out of obedience. He's like, I respect that. I agree with the Bible tells you to do that and commands you to do it. But he said, he said are you getting anything out of these meetings? He said, literally, he said, he said, do you get off the call and think, well, I didn't really get anything out of this, but at least I helped move this dummy along just a little bit more this morning. <laughs> and so I just said, I looked at him, I said, you have no idea, like, I, I need this. I cannot not have this. And yes, I'm here for you, I hope, I hope you can grow, I hope you get something out of it, but I'm, I'm here for me. And when I don't do this, I don't grow. I need it like I need air in my lungs. And so, we're meeting every week still, so. <laughs> but anyway, I just thought, again, to me that, that just goes along with this obligation. It's not, again, what, what stood out to me that that guy said, he's, he said, am I being a burden to you and your family? I think when Paul says that he's obligated, it's not a matter of a burdensome obligation. It's a necessity. That's what he means by obligation. Questions? Clear as mud. All right. Let's talk about, um, at least for me, I kind of have two goals uh, when I'm meeting with a guy. And I, I'm not suggesting that these are the only goals. This is just kind of my, there's probably some subcategories within this, but my kind of overarching, what I'm hoping to impart, if, if anything, um, goals. So the first one is I want to help the person understand that the Bible is their authority and they need to self-feed on it. So how can I help this person understand they need to study and interpret and apply the Bible for themselves? I I can't do it for you. You don't want me to do it for you, to be honest. I'm not that smart. You need to figure out for yourself this is important. Uh, The second goal I I have is I want to help them understand that they have a role in ministry. Again, Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2, you're entrusting to other men so that they can teach others also. Part of, the, part of the, the game is it's not just meet with a guy and then it's over. It's let's get them involved. So those are kind of my two goals. Um, we're going to go to Hebrews 11, Shane, and hopefully talk about this a little. So Hebrews eleven twenty three 23 to 27.
1: By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king For he endured as seeing him who is unseen.
0: So verse 23, at least my version, says, By faith Moses. So by faith Moses, when he was born, so he's a baby, is put into a little basket and put into the Nile River. So I just think about it. It says, By faith Moses, but that's not really his faith. right? His parents are the ones that, by faith put him into a basket, and put him into the Nile. So Moses' faith journey, it says by faith Moses, starts with his parents putting him into into a basket. Now, 40 years later, when he grows up, he's pretty much the king of the world, owns everything, one of the most powerful people in the world, and by faith, he considers the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. So the, the thought I'm getting at here. Hopefully I can clearly state it. Moses' faith started with someone else. But his, his faith, that, that faith of being put in the basket is not what got him out of Egypt. Someone else's faith wasn't getting Moses to leave behind everything. Again, he's the prince of Egypt, that they own the world. They have everything. He has everything. And he says there's something greater out there. And what what he goes to do is interesting, I think, for this conversation. He leaves everything to go into the desert to tend after another man's sheep for 40 years. So again, he decides to leave everything, die to self, go out into the desert, and tend someone else's sheep. So the thought here is, again, it started with, with his parents' faith. But if he doesn't get this deep-seated conviction in his own soul that there is something greater than the riches of Egypt. Again, the people at the time, I mean, what, what's, there, there is nothing greater than the riches that he had in Egypt. But somehow Moses knew that there was something more. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. That's a big thought for me, at least. I don't know about you guys. So again, why I bring you here is that if you're meeting with a person, or even, even me talking to you guys here, I cannot convince you of anything. And, and you can't get your convictions into another person's soul. They have to, you can, you can maybe put them in a basket and put them in the Nile River, but they're not going to leave Egypt and go tend another man's sheep unless they think it's best for them. They have to have that thought in their soul for themselves. But again, part of the process is being taught. Part of the process is Moses got put into a basket. So a, a, a similar kind of story. Um, a couple of years ago, a guy came to me, and we were in similar circles going to Bible studies, same kind of place in life, young kids, uh, business guy, and he's just like, how do you, like, I, I want to get some time. I want to talk to you. So he calls me and talks to me, and he says, how do you have time? It pretty much was his question. How do you have time to balance work and kids and whatever? And to be honest, I, didn't, I, don't, I don't have a magic bullet answer. All, all I could think to do is show him. I just said, why don't you, let's, next week, let's start meeting. So let's just start meeting. And that's all, again, I don't have a great answer to it other than I, we can start meeting. You can see what we do, see what I do, <laughs> take, what, take what is uh, decent and anything that's terrible, throw it away, please. And so we start meeting. It wasn't too long after that, a young guy got into a, one of our studies and was asking to meet with people. And this guy I'm meeting with says, "So are we gonna? Are you gonna meet with him, or like <laughs> having like a negotiation about? It. Like this is exactly what you want. This is perfect. This guy lives lives on the same street as you. Going to Bible studies and say, 'Here, here it is. Now you can start meeting with this guy.' So again, I say that to say my faith is, can can get people in the. I can get people in a basket. They have to get the faith for themselves, the conviction for themselves." the view for themselves that this is what's best for me. And so uh, my suggestion here, again, is all you can really do is show guys. Any thoughts or questions on that? All right. Let's talk about... um, changing people's worldviews. So, again, by the the definition we came up is we're we're trying to help people think biblically. And if you're thinking biblically, that that thinking is going to be drastically different than whatever worldview you had before you were thinking biblically. So, again, part of helping someone think biblically, there's going to be a worldview change. Um, it's imperative for people to begin to view things the way God wants them to view things. so again, a, a part of our goal is helping people do that again, as as we've looked at a few verses, right, God's the one that builds, God's the one that grows. If He doesn't, nothing is built, nothing is grown. So again, my, my question here is, like, well what, what's our role in this? How do we do it i can I can't really change anyone's mind i I can't really make anyone believe anything that they don't, they don't want to. So God's the one doing it, so what's our role in it? That's what I want to talk about. So as, as I thought about it, it seemed to me like there's kind of three ways. There's probably more. But I, I, I thought of three ways that you can try to do this. Uh, two of them I wouldn't suggest and, and one I, I would. <laughs> so the first one, you can try to help a person be all that you feel that they should be. And what I mean by that is, you can tell a guy, here's what I believe you should do. I'll tell you what your purpose is. I'll tell you what you need to do. Um, it's on, I, I, that, that way is on my terms if I'm doing that. I'm telling the guy, here's, here's, what, here's what it is. Here's what I do. Here's what you need to do. Um, we'll talk about some pitfalls there in a second. But the second way, you can get a committee of people to do it. We do this a lot, you know, whether it's a church or a school or a Bible study, whatever it is, um, we can get a group of people to tell individuals what they need to do. Again, the the problem with these two thoughts is that I I might be able to, I might be able to for for a time tell you, hey, you need to do this, and you might do it for a little bit, maybe it's good for you, but in the long run, will you continue to do it? And so, again, the thought here is, unless you're personally convinced and you have these convictions deep in your soul, it just won't stick. Uh, I want to read some verse. Shane, if you don't mind reading. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 13 to 17.
1: But evil men and apostates will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work.
0: Guys, there's evil men and imposters out there that it's not getting better, it's getting worse. And they are deceiving and they are deceived. And so we gotta be real careful who we listen to. Again, if someone's telling you what to do, or if there's a group of people telling you what to do, I'm not saying that there are evil men, imposters telling you that they're deceiving, but how do you know? And you gotta be careful. And here in Second Timothy, it says, you, however, continue in the things that you've become convinced of. Again, if you aren't convinced deep in your soul, you're just not going to buy in. You're just not. And so Paul's telling Timothy here, you're convinced of it because you know who you learned it from, which was Paul. Paul taught him. And he's going back to the sacred writings, the scriptures that are profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training. And so, the, the, again, the, the point here is, which is the last, so the first two ways, all right, you, you can tell someone what their purpose is. You can tell them what their ministry is. Or a group of people can tell someone what their purpose is. A group of people can tell someone what their ministry is. The, se- the third option, which I, is my suggestion if you haven't guessed yet, is that all you can really do is try to help that person find for themselves in God's word what God wants from them that's the only way because unless god through his word and the spirit working in him moves a person to to come to this realization of here's your life here's your purpose here's the point again it just won't stick you might do something for a little bit but you won't you won't give your life to it you won't die for it just a quick suggestion on that is People are different. I know we've been talking about it a lot, but trying to put yourselves in, in, in people's shoes and seeing where they are. and I, Paul's talking about being, being all things to all people. You know, try to, you gotta see things from their perspective and all we can do is guide them to God's word. And again, hopefully they will listen to God's word and trust him and find out in God's word how they can get involved. So a little bit more specifically, um, how the heck do we do this? Uh, we kind of hit on a, some of it already. Um, Winston's going to speak tomorrow morning. He, he always calls, uh, the, and I've kind of found this to be true, the three ways that you can help someone do this is give them the three holies. That's what Winston calls it, the three holies. And I've found this to be very true. If you try to give them anything other than this, it's your own initiative and good luck. But if you give them the three holies, this is how you, you can help people in this endeavor. So the first one is the Holy Spirit. And that's, I mean, guys, we got to pray for guys. Unless the Spirit moves in men, again, nothing will happen. So you pray for guys. The second one we've, we've, we've talked about a little bit, but it's the holy word. Expose them to God's word. Get them in the book for themselves. Uh, help, the, help them try to, you know, study methods, proper hermeneutics, how to read it, ex- whatever. But they got to do it for themselves. You got to get them exposed to it for themselves. Uh, the third one is the holy life. You model it. You give them examples. Whether you, whether you want to admit this or, like, or not, or whether you like it or not, you become like the people that you associate with. You become like the people that you're around. That's why Paul warns in 1 Corinthians 5.33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. It's just true. The guys you're around, you start to act like them, talk like them, think like them. <clears throat> so you want to model the holy life. Now, a couple observations on the holy life. If you're anything like me at all, you're probably thinking, uh it's probably not the greatest thing in the world for someone to, 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 to model their life after me. <laughs> People don't want to, shouldn't want to be like me. You might be thinking. And that's a fair and probably honest statement, to be honest, about who you are. So a couple observations on that. Again, the first one is the same guy in Romans 7, which is Paul, who talks about how he's the chief among sinners. If, if Paul's the chief among sinners, what the heck are we? So Paul says he's the chief among sinners and that same guy in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, imitate me. Paul says, imitate me. Now, I think it's a pretty obvious uh, thought to, to say, well, P- Paul's not telling you to imitate him as the chief of sinners. He's not He's not suggesting that you just go be the king of sinners. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, it goes on to say, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So th- the thought here is, Paul knows who he is. Romans 7, he knows his problem with his flesh. He's not lying about it. He's real. He's honest. He says, imitate me as I believe correctly, as I imitate Christ. Um, Similar thought. I've been thinking about this verse a lot. Shane, if you don't mind reading 1 Timothy 5, 17.
1: 1 Timothy 5.17, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching.
0: Thank you. So I've really thought a lot about this because the guys that I put in this category in my life, guys who I consider my elders who have taught and preached to me, um, boy, they really don't like to be praised. (laughs) They don't want single honor, let alone double honor. You know, if, if whenever they get someone saying, like, hey, you did such a good job, thank you so much, it's it's awkward. They kind of put their, there's no eye contact, and they're like, praise God, praise God. So it's like some weird, awkward kind of thing, and, and as right it should be. So I just thought about, well, what does it mean to double honor these guys? These guys that are elders in our life who have poured their lives into us and preached and taught to us, They never really ask me of anything. They don't want my money. They don't don't ask me of anything. So, what the heck? How do I double honor them? And as as I've really thought about that, the only thing they've ever asked of me is emulation. The only thing they've ever asked, and, and the only thing they consistently do, is to encourage me to imitate them as they imitate Christ. And these guys, like Paul, they're real, they're honest. They're not lying about who they are. They, 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 their shortcomings are obvious and they let me know about it. And apart from Christ, they're nothing. And they'll be the first to tell me. And so again, I, to me, that's if you find guys in that category who are honest and serious about this book and pour their lives into you and teach and preach to you, you, you cling to them like the bug that you are and you double honor them by listening and heeding their words. Questions? All right, the next part here is, I don't know if it's applications or just my suggestions, so if it's my suggestions, be wary. But I want to just talk to you guys about some of the things that I've noticed that have worked for me, and um, hopefully you guys get something out of it. So my first thought is, where are we looking? The harvest is plentiful. There's not a lot of workers, but the harvest is plentiful. So my, que- my question is just, again, where are you finding guys? It's not that they're not there. The harvest is plentiful. Um, There's a a guy back home who who constantly says uh, the people that you're coming in contact with, he calls them divine appointments. And that really stands out to me. He talks about it all the time. He talks about divine appointments. There's no accidents of who's coming in your life. And uh, when you're walking down the street or you're in your, your job, the same people over and over and over that you're seeing, you are uniquely positioned. There is not a single person in the history of the world who has the exact same opportunities as you do. So you are being divinely put in these spots, and you're being put into these divine appointments. So I'd say just, just start asking guys. It's really that simple. Just ask. You just ask guys to meet. My, my two biggest, I, we'll call them fishing ponds, are just work and Bible studies. And you might think, well, these guys go going to a Bible study for 10 years. He probably doesn't need to talk to 80 and me. And that's a fair point, but it's, it's not that he needs to talk to me about, and I'm smart, but meeting with guys, again, regularly in God's word, asking questions, digging into the word, it doesn't matter how smart or dumb you are, You're gonna, God's going to move in guys meeting together and opening up his word and talking about his word. So Just start asking guys. Worst thing they can do is say, no, no thanks, but you'll be surprised if you just start asking guys how many guys are eager to, there's no one who's poured into their life. There's no one who's taken the time to meet with them, to, to spend however long it takes to answer whatever questions they have. Guys are dying for people to do this. You just start asking, people start saying yes. Uh, similarly along this thought, Brainiac Me is usually trying to, you know, really plan this. And I've got a couple guys I'm meeting with that were coming up on, you know, graduating maybe. So I've been thinking a lot about where am I going to look next, praying about it, talking to accountability brothers. You know, Here's my, my main work, which I'm remote. I've been remote for two years. I don't really see people. Bible study is kind of the same thing, remote. So just praying about where is God going to bring another guy into my life. Literally, this is three days before I flew out here. Uh, my wife gets a text from a a, there's a family. she's she's from Toledo, not that you guys know anything about Ohio, but a couple hours west of Cleveland, and a family friend of hers is moving to Cleveland. And this guy texts her and says, hey, do you have any church uh, recommendations, any Bible study recommendations? He texts that to my wife. (laughs) And my wife goes to me, hey, do we have any church recommendations for this guy? And I just go, this is the lamp. Just give me that guy's number. Just give me that guy's number. I'll, I'll talk to him. So that's a layup right there. So you texts the guy and just ask. Hey, I hear you want to get into Bible studies? Let's just start meeting one-on-one. Just fell right in my lap. I'm planning like, okay, how do I, and God just, just drops in your lap. So you just got to have your eyes up and again, just ask. Second one. This is a suggestion I'll admit this one, so take this one for what it is. But uh, I suggest one-on-one. And not that you can't do it with with a larger group, but I suggest one-on-one for two reasons. The first one is you can't hide in one-on-one. There's no one else in the room to answer the questions or ask the questions. Um, And I'm weird. I'll sit in silence. I'll ask a question. I'll just wait. And just wait until they answer. There's no one else there to answer, so you got to answer. What do you think? Tell me what you think. It falls on that person to think and learn. So to me, that's huge. And if there's a group, even three, uh, you can hide. The second one is I find it to be more sustainable and, and replicable. It's, it's, anyone can talk to one person. Anyone can meet with one person. If you're trying to, to replicate groups, it's just harder. Balancing schedules and whatnot. Just one guy. Anyone can meet with one guy. So again, I suggest one-on-one. This next one's big. Uh, For guys that have families, wives, kids, um, as best you can, I I strongly suggest get them on board. Get them on board. And that means a lot of things. I mean, I, I want my kids to, they're young, they're young, but I want them to see me doing it. I want them to understand that's what we do and that we, this is how we spend our time and this is what we value. Um, Isaiah 43, 4, I'm gonna read it real quick. It says, since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. So again, I want my family to know since God loves us, He's gonna give other people in exchange for our lives. And I want them to know that's our purpose. That's what we do. Similar thing with, with your wife. I mean, if you're spending a it's again, we talked about calculating the cost. It, it's it's time consuming. It's there's, you know, and guys have problems and they need and they might need you, and it takes up time. And so you gotta have your wife on board. She's gotta know. Uh, what matters, and she's got to know the reason why. She's got to know you're not just leaving for, for no reason. Um, and so, my suggestion there is again, get, get her involved. Guys have wives, guys have kids. Um, get your wife involved, get your kids involved. Bring, bring their family around, bring them to the, bring them to the home. Um, a quick story a, a guy that I've been meeting with for a bit, his wife was not a believer when we started meeting. And so we spent a lot of time praying for her and, you know, strategizing of how, how can we get her around my wife. And, and, and long story short, uh, probably about six to eight months ago, uh, the guy I'm meeting with actually led her to Christ. It was just so cool. It's just the coolest thing. I mean, just families impacting. It's more than just the guy you're meeting with. It's their families are impacted. It's, it's incredible to see. Um, but I bring it up here to say, again, involve your family. We bring these. We bring this guy and his wife over. My wife is now pouring into this into this lady's life and uh, getting time with her. They're starting to meet. Um, that is huge. If you don't have that, if your if your wife and kids don't know what you're doing, it's going to be hard. They're not going to understand why, why daddy's gone all the time or whatever. So getting them involved is huge. Quickly, we'll go over this one quickly, but don't make guys jump through hoops. And what I mean by that is we all have expectations for ourselves and for other people, and be careful with that. There's no reason to make a guy do things. If a guy's willing to, to meet with me and talk about the Bible, I'll meet and talk about the Bible. I'm not going to put a bunch of contingencies on him and make them jump through hoops. So there's a lot there. There's a lot to, kind of specifically to talk about there, but I'm going to I'm gonna leave it at that. Um, I got three kind of things for us to think of over other things. So I'm just going to, again, try to, do I have, good, do I have time, Trevor? Okay. Um, I'll try to move through these kind of quick, but. Major on principles over method. And what I mean by that is, using is, let's use the Great Commission as an example. Jesus says, go and make disciples. So he tells you what to go do. He doesn't necessarily tell you exactly how to do it. He doesn't say, hey, Trevor has these great books. Get these books and go through these books. He doesn't say what exactly to do. He says, He doesn't say exactly how to do it, I should say, but he tells you what to do. So the point is, when you're meeting with guys, major with them on the principle of what the Bible tells them what to do, not necessarily how you do it. Similar thought, focus on thinking over skills. And the example I want to go to is is Jesus with the Pharisees it doesn't seem to me like Jesus had a problem with the Pharisees' skills. They were evangelizing and teaching and they were reading the scriptures. They pretty much had the whole thing memorized, some of them. So it's not like they didn't have skills. Jesus' problem with them was their thinking. They were not on the same page of what was true and what was important and what mattered and what purpose was. So similarly with the guys you're meeting with, Help them focus on thinking, not, necessi- not that you can't help train them on skills, that's good, but what comes first is thinking. Again, same thought, not same, but similar thought. Your theories and your theology are, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic thing to talk about and to teach, but more important than that is helping them trust God. What comes before theology is tr- just trusting God. And so again, if I don't believe that God, that his word is authoritative, and I don't believe that he knows what's best for me, and I don't believe that he's in control, and I don't trust him, I'm not going to buy into any theory or theology. So we start with trust God. One more application, then I'll have a one quick thought to end us on. Um, Shane, do you want a surprise read? I don't, I don't think I gave you this one. But first Thessalonians 2, six to 12.
1: Okay, First Thessalonians 2, six through 12. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority, but we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory.
0: This one hits me really hard. But verse 8 says we didn't just impart to you the gospel only, but our own lives. And the example given is one that just hits hard. I don't know about you guys, but I've got three kids under five and watching my wife um, tenderly love them and the the time that she puts into that, the mess, I mean, that's the example given here is, is a mom caring for her children and again, I, as I sit back and marvel and watch my wife tenderly care for my children and and then think that Paul tells me that this is how I'm supposed to give to other men and think, holy smokes, I'm falling short. She is, the way she is tenderly caring for these kids, I can't say that I do that for men. And And that's, that's when it gets real, guys, when we give more than just meeting them once a week, and here's what I think. Okay, have a good life. Like, now we're giving them our lives. Let's get them, and again, bring them over to the house. Involve them in what you're doing. Take them with you places. Really get to know these people. It changes. It's huge. Verse 11, it switches to the Father. I can't, I can't, uh, say that I do this overly great as a father, but as a father, you hope to exhort and encourage and implore your children. And so the example here is the same thing: I, 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 the way that I care for my kids and I care that they make good decisions and I encourage them and I implore them, please, kids, please just see this. That's how we are to treat these these guys. It's huge. In Mark 10: 29-30, Jesus says. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. My suggestion here is that hundredfold that you're getting in this present age is is just what we were talking about in 1 Thessalonians. You get to know these guys. You give them your life. They give you your life. That fellowship, you have a 100 times as many brothers and sisters when you just start to to get around these guys in this intimate way. There's just nothing like it. There really isn't. Any thoughts or questions on uh, these suggestions? And I will leave you with one thought after that. But any thoughts? Justin, what would you say to guys who... Are intimidated, and like, well, I don't know enough. I don't know enough of the scriptures to disciple another guy. What would yeah. you do to encourage them? Yeah, I know the feeling all too well. I think that stalled me in this myself, and my first answer is that they're right. <laughs> they're, you're right. You're not. You're not going to be. Quali- you're never going to be qualified, and so. Again that's why I think that purpose that we went over is so vital if you th- if you're going into this thinking, this guy's reliant on me, then you're already in the wrong place again, like we talked about god's building he's just giving you an opportunity, and the question is, are you going to be faithful to it? So you have the opportunity are you going to be faithful? that guy's soul is not dependent on you. you not knowing something about the bible isn't going to is is not going to stop that person from going to heaven. So my answer to that person is you need it. The reason the reason why you feel that way is because you aren't doing it. And and you will learn way more meeting with guys than going to seminary. That'd be my answer. Yep. So uh, in other words what you're saying when you're working
1: with someone is to go that extra mile you know, give more of
0: yourself, you know, like with Bible studies and taking them places, stuff like that? Yeah. Again, I getting involved in their lives, meeting their families, meeting their kids. Again, that it, now it becomes more than just, hey, there's one guy I talk to for one hour once a week. It's now I have extended family that I care deeply about, and I care about their wife, and I care about their kids, and it's, it's powerful. So yes. Anything else? All right, I'm gonna leave you with one one last thought. Colossians 3, 23 to 25. It says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done. And that without partiality. A lot of times we talk about those verses and we talk about work. Like business. And my suggestion to you guys is the objective of that verse is not business. The objective is not good business. It's not be the best employee to make the most money. The, the, the goal or the objective of that verse is the gospel. And I give you examples in, in the Bible. I mean, there's plenty of people in the Bible that had vocational, they had jobs, right? Luke's a physician. Paul's a tent maker. Peter's a fisherman. Jesus is a carpenter. And what do we know those guys for? We don't know them. We don't think, Paul wasn't going on these trips, business trips. He's not going to Rome to sell a bunch of tents. To be the most famous tent seller north of the Mediterranean. He's going there on mission. And so again, my my ask of you guys is just what what are you known for? And what are you telling people you do? And what 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 is it you do? And so again, my suggestion is those guys aren't known for their jobs, the guys in the Bible. So that's what I got. Good luck, guys.